I'm so excited to share with you guys finally my interview with the author Robert Greene. He's a best-selling author and he has written many amazing books including The Art of Seduction, The 33 Strategies of War, The 50th Law, Mastery, The Laws of Human Nature, The 48 Laws of Power, and I'm actually really excited to share he also wrote a book called The Daily Laws. Now, what's interesting is going into this interview, and I want to share this with you guys real fast. Um, there were several things that were interesting. Um, first and foremost, I had some weird feelings and interactions with different parts of Robert's books, and you guys are going to hear a little bit about that behind the scenes as I share my thoughts on his books, how they impacted me. I ask him questions such as, what was your intention with writing this book? What were you like as a teenager? And quite a few more questions. I did not expect how this interview was going to go, but I want to share one thing that's really important with you guys because it kind of blew my mind. So our internet, in fact, Xfinity went down during this interview. Zoom crashed like several times. So you'll notice in certain parts, it's pieced together. And after the hour-long slot that we had booked for interview, we have about 30 minutes of that that actually was able to be salvaged and used. Um... Robert actually called me back on Facebook Messenger on Video Messenger, and we had an amazing conversation. So at the end of this interview, I'm going to share with you what was said then, but that was not captured. And so I'll share with you kind of the gist of those conversations, including we finally got to talk about quite possibly his most controversial book, The Laws of Seduction, or rather The Art of Seduction. I think it's really fascinating to talk about his thoughts on that and whether or not he thinks I should read that book. So I could say so much more about him, but first I want you guys to feel free to just watch this interview. Share your thoughts in the comments as we go. You'll also notice my hair is a different color from when I interviewed him to now, but I want to hear from you guys your thoughts. Feel free to share them in the comments, and then at the end of this video I'm going to share with you what happened after the cameras stopped rolling. Hello, hello. Hello there. Hi, how are you? Hi, we finally meet. Finally, we get to meet. I'm so excited. Yay. Me too, me too. Amazing. Um, yeah. I was trying to figure out where you're located, but I didn't see it directly in Wikipedia. Where are you located? Los Angeles. Amazing. Where are you? Minnesota. Where? Minneapolis? Pretty close to Minneapolis. We're in Plymouth, just outside of Minneapolis. And oh. We're lifers here. <laughs> Born, raised. And oh. Yeah. Well, I went. I went to university in Wisconsin in Madison, oh. and we we would uh, we would take trips. One of our favorite places to go to was Minneapolis, and I had a friend who went to um, North. What's the no, Carleton College? Yep. Uh, business management, right? No, he wasn't. He was. He turned into a a rock musician. So I oh. don't. <laughs> they had like an arts. It was kind of an artsy school. Anyway, it's in North in Northfield. Okay, okay. I don't get out there ever. <laughs> My favorite part of Minnesota, just I won't bore you anymore with any of this, but is Boundary Waters. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. For some reason, our router reset completely, which happens oh. when you have kids on the internet. Oh, okay. But <laughs> that's all right. I, I thought it, maybe it was on my end, but no. Nope, definitely on our end. So, well, I'm okay. super excited. So you said your favorite part of Minnesota is? Oh, Boundary Waters. I love that place. My dad used to take me there as a kid. Oh, 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 God, it's amazing. I have such fond memories of it. 
Yeah. I'm guessing you went in the fall, right? As all the colors on the trees change or not necessarily? Uh, I think you got, we had to go because my sister was visiting me and I think we went in like September. It was before the leaves were changing. Okay, it's still pretty. It's still amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then when the leaves change colors, you look out and it just looks like, especially oh. when you go down the river. So you go down the river and you look and you see, like, ugh, it looks like everything's on. I'm excited. All right. I'm, ex I'm excited too. I'm so excited. Okay. So before we dive into everything, I yes. actually want to share with you my experience about, uh, or rather with you and your books, because there's an interesting uh -huh. story behind that. Uh, your most, not maybe your most controversial book, but your most well-known book, The 48 Laws of Power, came into my life in a really interesting time. Um, uh -huh. I had, do you know who Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels is? He's an uh, entrepreneur. Uh, ClickFunnels? No, I don't. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, yeah. So he's from the entrepreneur world and the more like internet marketer uh, in the okay. entrepreneur world. And I actually uh, boxed one of his coaches one night and I was crying and someone had done something really, really particularly cruel to me. And I said, why would anyone ever do anything like that to another person? I don't understand. Can you help me understand why someone would ever do something cruel intentionally to another person. And the coach said, I have a book that I need you to read. Uh -huh. And that was my introduction to your world and your books. And I stayed what? up all night reading The 48 Laws of Power. What was it that somebody did to you? Can you oh my share? gosh. Yeah. So basically they, um, it was on a Facebook post and they were basically taking some of my words and twisting them out of context and making it seem like I was this kind of person that I really am not. Um, but they were intentionally broadcasting it in a way to use it as a marketing angle for them to say like, oh. this is who Rachel is. Um, and it, oh, it just, it hurt my feelings so badly because they were saying she's overly emotional and she's this, and you can't trust someone who's like this. Am I emotional? Yes. But yeah. <laughs> I didn't, a lot of us can be, I think. Yes. Um, but that was Probably. my introduction to your book. So, wow. and it helped you? So much. It helps me to understand that different people think really differently. Yeah. Really differently. I'm super curious throughout your life. Yeah. What was it that made you think about wanting to write books about human behavior, especially the 48 laws of power? Well, it wasn't a simple process. I wish I had like a very easy answer. I was 21 and I decided I, but it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be a writer from very early on in life. I just couldn't figure out what I could write. I tried <laughs> journalism in New York. I was in New York. I didn't really like that. And mm -hmm. I w wandered around Europe kind of like a hippie, and I tried to write novels. That didn't fit. Then I came back to Los Angeles. I got into Hollywood, tried writing screenplays, and that wasn't a good fit either. But in the meantime, I was in my mid to late 30s, and I really didn't have much success in life. But I had like 60 different jobs or at least 60 different jobs over the period. You can everything you could possibly imagine from construction work to working in a detective agency 
to working in a hotel in Paris to, to all the other jobs that I mentioned, right? And I had seen every kind of awful boss you can imagine and all the kind of conniving colleagues, every kind of political maneuver in all these different jobs. And I'm, I read a lot of books about history. And in history, I was reading about the Borgias in 16th century Italy and how kind of evil they could be. And I was going, things are maybe less bloody in 1995, 1996, but they're just as ugly. There's just as many power games going on. People have egos. And so with that background, in 1995, I met a man in Italy who was a book packager. He asked me if I had an idea for a book. And I, it wasn't planned or anything. It's one of those moments in life that just happened, you know, by the sun was shining. I was in a good mood. He asked me that question. And I improvised an idea that turned into the 48 Laws of Power. But it all just kind of spewed out of me because I had had so many bad experiences and I was, I was, you know, searching for what I needed, wanted to write. And also, I'm somebody who doesn't really like, I like realism. I like being practical. And what really, I often write things when I feel a little bit of anger. And what was angering me in that moment was that nobody, I never could see books except for like Machiavelli's The Prince that yep. actually described the world that I was living through. Everything was so sugary and sentimental and all these self-help books, and it wasn't my experience. So we put all that together, and that's what created the 48 Laws of Power. I love that. Um, to give some context then to the experience after reading it, it was really helpful because I was, I was hurt, at, and not just at that situation, but at the world for just being cruel. And I feel like it was years worth of having seen the un ugly underbelly at times of humanity, that yeah. that book actually gave me kind of a roadmap for understanding some of the reasons yeah. that people do those things. Yeah. Which was incredible. Go for it. No, but don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that that's all that there is out there, that there's just awful yeah. people, because really 90, at least 90% of humans are actually decent and easy to get along with. It's just that small percentage of others who are manipulative, who are passive aggressive, who are full of envy, that ruin life for the rest of us that play all of these games. So I don't want to give the impression that I'm this paranoid person who thinks everybody in the world is evil because I don't. Mm -hmm. I love that. What were you like before you started writing books as a teenager? What was Robert Greene like as a teen? Well, well, if you search my Instagram, you'll see photos of me from high school where I had hair all the way down my, my back. I was yep. a bit of a hippie. I was really into uh, literature and books and reading. I read a lot of novels and things like that. I was kind of a you know straight A student, but I got into drugs as well. So it was kind of a mix of things, you know, I got, particularly when I went into, went to college, but I also started in high school. I had a period of several years where I was doing, you know, a lot of marijuana and a lot of LSD and other drugs like that. I was exploring, you know, it wasn't a thing of just partying. I wasn't a party person. I'm actually kind of shy, mm -hmm. but it was more like, I just wanted to know what it meant to be alive, what it mm -hmm. meant to be a conscious human individual. And so I was very curious about things. I was very adventurous. I would try anything, you know. Yes. So um, that's kind of who I was. I, I was a, a mix of kind of opposing qualities, 
kind of shy and introverted, but at the same time, very adventurous and kind of hungry for all kinds of interesting experiences. And I did all sorts of weird things that I would never do now, you know, hitchhiking into Mexico and things like that and stuff. But, you know, um, that, that's when you're 18 years old, that's what you do. I will say as a mom of three, that terrifies me. Um, that you're a mom, really you're a mom, you have three, you have three kids. I do. Yes. But you're so young. Well, you're so nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I would never, <laughs> I would never have thought that. Well, thanks. I started young, um, not necessarily on purpose, but um, yeah. yeah, I have an 11 year old, a seven year old and a wow. three year old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm not advocating that, you know, young people do drugs, but don't get me wrong, because it could be a terrible thing. And I understand the dangers involved. You just asked me the question. I was being honest with you. I appreciate honesty a lot. <laughs> so I, I have some interesting questions. A lot of my questions are specifically about 48 Laws of Power, Certainly. mostly because um, every time I talk about it, people go crazy. <laughs> like they have so many thoughts. I mean, they, they assume so many things. And so one question I actually asked my audience if you, in many different ways, if you got to sit down with Robert Greene, what would you ask him? And one of the questions that came up the most, but I almost want to rephrase it is, is 48 laws of power, a book for narcissists to learn how to be narcissists. But I'm going to rephrase that because I, I truly don't believe that the people who behave like that need a book, if that makes sense. I um, completely so, agree. So my question for you is, what was your intention as you wrote this book? Like, what were you hoping people might say about it or what their experience would be? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there was part of the in intention was I was a bit angry. Nobody was really writing about the world that I had experienced. So I wanted a little bit of revenge. I wanted to actually put it out there. So maybe I'm being a little bit dramatic with the stories to kind of create that sense of, of drama, you know, like I'm reacting against it. But the other thing is, I completely agree with you. Yeah. People who are sharks, who are the real manipulators out there, and we all know who they are, they don't need a book like the 48 Laws of Power, right? It's already in them. They know it. They have the, it's in their DNA. We could trace back when they were three or four years old, and I do that in The Laws of Human Nature, my previous book, where that comes from, right? What yes. creates that kind of person? But let's just accept that they exist. They don't need the book. They've been practicing it since they were toddlers, how to manipulate, right? Okay. So um, I wrote the book from my point of view. I was somebody at that age, 35, 36, who had no real power. I was never a CEO. I never was like a boss of anybody, right? Mm -hmm. I had been on the end of other people doing things to me. So there's one law in the book that is on the face, very evil, which is get others to do the work, but always take the credit. Mm -hmm. And that had happened to me in several occasions in Hollywood. Like I wrote like big, big bits of dialogue in the screenplay. I really literally almost wrote the screenplay, but my name was never on it. And, you know, that kind of gives you a, kind of pissed me off, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I later realized that that's just how life is and you have to find ways to deal with it. So a lot of the laws of power had been done to me. I hadn't been doing them to others. And then never outshine the master, law number one. 
which is sometimes you try too hard to please people who are your boss and you don't realize they have an ego and they have insecurities and you're making them feel insecure inadvertently by trying so hard, like maybe you're better than they are. And then you end up being fired and you don't know why. That happened to me on several occasions. So I wrote the book from that perspective, more of the victim. And I wanted to help people in these situations because you enter life generally and you're a bit naive. I was very naive, I have to admit, when I entered the work world at the age of 21 or so, right? I had all these silly notions in my head from the university, et cetera. And I was blindsided by all these games, like kind of the game that somebody played on you on Facebook. I wasn't expecting it. And I would get emotional and I would get upset and I would say stupid things and I would, I would mess, I would mess the situation, I would make the situation worse. So I honestly wanted to write a book that would be for me when I was 21. I wish I had had that book. It would save me some of the pain of all of these dramas and help me center myself and realize what's really going on, you know? Mm, I love, I love that. Um, Cause reading your book, that one in particular was the first time that I started to realize, Hey, I don't have to, I don't even have to recognize a lot of the games that go on in the workplace. Um, so interesting over the years, if you could go back and actually I'm going to include all of your books. Um, I have read all of your books except for the art of seduction. And I'll talk, really? we'll maybe talk about that more. At you, some pro point. you probably don't need the art of seduction. I'm assuming. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I do. I will say though, it's uh, mentioned in the game, right? And I read a Definitely. part of the game. Um, not many people do this, but I like to read books that really go counter to what I either currently believe or what I've previously believed. I really that's, like to read books like that. Do you do that too? Sometimes. I think that's very wise and very smart. I should probably do that more often. Right. <laughs> it, it helps. Um, sometimes I'll even, I'll think of not necessarily celebrities, but I'll think of people who I don't like their online persona or their public facing persona. And I'll intentionally right. read their books to try to find common ground or understand something that that's I brilliant that's brilliant i i completely applaud that I, it's something i don't really do enough of i i think so was that sort of my online presence that you didn't like and that's why you read no. my books okay <laughs> no i only read it um when i boxed my coach i was crying and she said oh rachel she said basically you are a lot like Minnie mouse um <laughs> which is really nice um she said you're just so naive sometimes and so i'm going to recommend this book to you she wow. said it might she said it might feel a little dark, but I think this is going to really help you to understand why other people make the decisions that they make at times, okay. because I don't think that she said, I don't think you normally naturally wrap your brain around it. And I think that that was actually, I had, I knew nothing about you. Um, I actually envisioned you very different <laughs> when I was reading the book. I was like, oh, this is a, an evil, horrible person. And then <laughs> actually, once I found your online persona, I realized you're actually really nice. Like you are a kind person. And I got that at least in yeah. many scenarios. Um, no one's absolute. No. So, so that was the first time I started reading books that went against my natural become a better business owner. So I'm glad I did at least that first time. So I would still read the artist seduction just to understand it. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Especially raising daughters, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, and a son too. <laughs> so <laughs> are, 
as you look at all of your books, yeah, is there anything that you look back at and say, not that you regret writing it, but your perspective has totally shifted completely. Is there anything that stands out to you there, a particular law or chapter? Well, you know, not really. Um, I'm somebody who tries to live in the present. I don't, I never reread my books or anything like that. I think the art of seduction, maybe there are a few things in there that I would change. Like I use the word victim. I talk about seducing your victim. That's a very loaded word, word in our currently. I mean, it always has been, but so I would maybe change the language. And there's a, there's a particular chapter in that book mm-hmm. that is quite dastardly. If I won't use the word evil, but quite dastardly, which is about isolating the person that you're going to see. Yeah. I didn't mean it that way. I meant it in a more literary way, but it could be taken, could be misconstrued. Maybe I would change that. But basically, um, I, I live in the moment. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. on to my next book, and when I look at the when I look at the book as a whole, like I say, power. I feel personally, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I feel like I kind of nailed it. I kind of nailed what the game is like. Yeah, maybe there's some things that have changed now with social media. Things I might change a little bit with seduction. Yeah, there may be things that are a little too harsh in it. But I nailed the psychology behind seduction, why we're so vulnerable to it and what makes, you know, and what the positive aspect of seduction. And I definitely believe there is a positive aspect. And I can go on and on down the list of the books. Yeah, maybe here and there I could tweak things, but I captured, to me at least, I captured the essence of the phenomenon. Mm, That's so good. I was going to ask. Well, actually, I'm still going to (laughs) ask. when. When you feel like the laws of power could be used for and a lot of different things, it could be used for good, it could be used for evil or dastardly purposes. Really, the truth is that's how every single law is um rather an interesting twist on that is how do you think people prevent themselves from getting to a place where power can become all-consuming well um that's sort of what i wrote the book mastery believe it or not about uh mastery was my fifth book it came out in 2014 And I was really concerned that people were taking the 48 laws of power too seriously. That a lot of majority, a lot of my readers, at least initially, were young men predominantly, like in the 18 to 25 year old Mm -hmm. demographic, and a lot of women, but mostly younger people. And I was a little bit concerned that they were becoming too consumed, that they thought that all that success meant in life was learning how to be political and learning how to manipulate. And I don't have that opinion either. So I wrote mastery as a way to say, you want to be able to get outside of yourself. You want to not be so consumed with with your own feelings, your own insecurities, your own weirdness. And you want to put your attention into your work, right? Or into other people or into your project. You want to be able to get outside of yourself in some way. And I know for me, I, you know, I have, aspects of myself that are honestly quite neurotic, quite insecure. 
But when I am writing my books, I'm another person. It takes me out of all of my problems. It, abs it absorbs me in something outside of myself. So the best, the best way to escape the kind of narcissistic trap that you can have if all you care about is getting attention and manipulating people and having power in this world is to absorb yourself in something outside of you, in a cause that, that animates you, and there's plenty of causes in this world that should animate you, in people that you love that are around you and your children and your spouse and your colleagues and develop high-level empathy, which is the theme of my last book, Laws of Human Nature, mm -hmm. or in your work. So in my last book, I call this the healthy narcissist, right? The healthy narcissist, because we are all self-absorbed. And I really try and argue against the notion that only some people are narcissists. Every yes. human being on this planet is a narcissist, including myself. We are all to some degree self-absorbed. Some people are worse than others, of course, right? But yeah. to become a healthy narcissist, you have to turn that attention that is always directed inward about yourself and your what attention you're getting and whether people are recognizing you and turn it outward into the world. And that kind of love that you feel for yourself, you put into people, you put into your work, you put into a cause or a project. That to me is the kind of cure, the remedy for too much obsession over power, I think. Mm, I love that. And that actually makes me want to ask, in the laws of human nature, what's your favorite law? Well, have you read the book? Mm -hmm. You have? Okay, I'm sorry. You've frozen, so I can't see you so well. <laughs> yes, um, I did. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my favorite law, I mean, it, you know, it kind of shifts, but I have to say the, the law about your attitude towards life so, um, because it's a fascinating subject, you know, I have this idea yes. that in 50, 60, 100 years, there's a whole element of, now I'm just seeing a picture of you. Oh, well, can you hear me? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> okay. now you're enveloped in darkness. Oh, well. Um, I had this idea that there's this whole sense of the power that you have with your attitude. And, and it's nothing people have, you can't really demonstrate it scientifically yeah. but it's insanely powerful and someday i want to see science kind of tackle this so that people can understand it but the idea is that you have a particular way of looking at the world mm -hmm. it's what i call your attitude some of it comes from genetics it comes from how you were you were born whether you're an introvert whether you're an extrovert a lot of it comes from your earliest years your experience with your parents etc but it's like a lens that you see things. Some people are very open and excited and adventurous and everything they see in the world seems like a possible adventure. Other people yes. are very closed, and very nervous and very anxious. And everything they see in the world reminds them of some possible, something to fear, some anxiety, right? And it's you projecting this on the world. The two different people are seeing the same thing, but one sees it through the lens of anxiety. The other sees it through the lens of adventure. And I want, the reason the chapter is so important is you can control your attitude. You can change it. It's not easy. You can't change it overnight. But I want you to go through a process where you become aware of what your attitude is and, and go through these certain exercises that I give you in that chapter for altering it. But to give you an, an idea of why I'm so excited by that idea is 
there are things where if I met you, Rachel, for the first time, and I approached you at a party or whatever, or a bar or whatever, and I'm like very interested in you, I'm very excited about you, and you can sense that I'm open, it kind of creates that feeling in you, right? A kind of viral yeah. feeling, because we're very, we're very vulnerable to the emotions of others. If I go up to you, and I'm kind of nervous and closed, and I, I don't really like you, and you can sense it, you can smell it off me, or that I may be ambivalent, it makes you defensive and insecure. So you're not aware of the fact that you're going around in life, kind of creating people's reactions to you by your own attitude, by how you look at them, right? And it goes back and forth and back and forth. So if I, you come up to me and I'm kind of defensive and anxious, it makes you defensive and anxious. And then I, who'm already defensive and anxious, it makes me even more, oh, she's like that. I think everybody is like that. On and on and on it goes. And we create this own kind of vicious circle of our own attitudes, kind of reinforcing them. So if you understand that going up to people with a thought in your head of, I like this person, I kind of respect them. They're an individual with their own values and experiences. You create this, and you don't even have to say it, you just think it. You create this kind of nonverbal communication between you that alters the yeah. dynamic and makes everything so much more pleasant and so much more exciting and human. So to me, it's, it's an area that I could write books about. It's an extremely, extremely important chapter. So this is the part where my internet cut out again, only this time our entire modem, internal and external, shut down. And I was so bummed because we were on the final question. Um, I waited to see what would happen. We tried to restart it. Nothing happened. But Robert basically called me back on Facebook Messenger video, and we had probably another 20 or even 30 minute long conversation beyond the time when the interview was supposed to end. One of the first things that Robert really asked me about was um, this idea of why why is it that I didn't want to read the book, The Art of Seduction? And I shared with him very candidly uh, that I heard about the book, The Art of Seduction, in relation to a book called The Game by Neil Strauss, which is a game all about pickup. If you haven't heard of pickup before, feel free to look it up. Just a heads up. It's kind of gross. Um, I personally learned about the game and the world of pickup in relation to people's behavior towards me when people would come up to me and feel the need to like criticize or insult me in front of a group before even saying hello. And I didn't understand that behavior until a mentor of mine said, I suggest you read this book so you understand that a little bit more. Uh, now that I understand it, it actually really helps me to see that behavior. And now when people neg in my presence, it's an instant no, you're out of my circle, you're not going to be a part of my life, because I see that behavior and it is not acceptable. Um, so Robert actually said, I'm really curious, like, would you ever read The Art of Seduction? And I said, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's why I wouldn't read it. And he said, you know, I want to be clear. The book, The Art of Seduction, was never about the same process as the game. It was never meant to be about pickup. It was rather for people who really struggled with uh, connecting with significant others. And we talked a little bit about it. And one of the things I appreciated that he shared was that uh, he kind of didn't like that 
he had said in the last in that book, The Art of Seduction, that he mentioned the victim and that he mentioned getting them alone. And we talked a little more about it in this part of the conversation. He said, knowing the world that we live in, those were probably not the best choice of words, but he doesn't regret anything in the art of seduction. Um, but he, he said, you know, he asked a little bit about my life, asked about uh, kind of what my life looks like. And I shared with him that I'm married and that I have three kids. And he basically said um, that he actually recommends that I don't read the book. So take all of that with a grain of salt, which is really interesting. Um, overall, my conversation with Robert, despite the tech challenges, felt very gracious. It felt very kind. We've had follow-up conversations briefly since then, and both of us left the conversation feeling like, wow, it was kind of like we understood each other. I got the sense from this interview that he was someone in life who had been potentially taken advantage of people, and that Overall, he has a kind outlook towards the world. At least that's what I got from it. He wants to truly help people. For example, when he, as mentioned in the interview earlier, when people were taking the 48 Laws of Power too seriously, he felt the need to write the laws of human nature in order to kind of counteract it. And I thought that was really beautiful. So that being said, I, I, I would definitely read more from Robert Greene, but I wanted to share something from his newest book called The Daily Laws, which is a New York Times bestselling book. Um, this is Robert Greene's The Daily Laws. Now, what's funny about this book is I love flipping to whatever the date is. For example, the date of recording this is November 8th. And I love to look at this and kind of see like almost, almost like a daily horoscope. I wasn't allowed to read horoscopes growing up, so I'd always just read the daily passage from any book. Wow, this is so spot on for today. Okay, so this is why I love this. I love acting like whatever is written on that date is what was meant for that day. And that's what I'm feeling here. November 8th is supreme patience. Time is an artificial concept that we ourselves have created to make the limitlessness of eternity and the universe more bearable, more human. Since we have constructed the concept of time, we were also able to mold it to some degree to play tricks with it. The time of a child is long and slow with vast expanses. The time of an adult whizzes by frighteningly fast. Time then depends on perception, which we know can be willfully altered. This is the first thing to understand in mastering the art of timing. And it goes on and on. And it says, daily law, practice patience, wait a day before taking action on that pressing problem. And this one comes from the 48 Laws of Power. It's Law 35. What I really enjoy about this book is that it is a compilation of the laws from the different books. And I shared this with Robert. What I think is helpful about this, um, I will tell you guys that 48 Laws of Power really did help me in a time where I didn't understand why people would just be mean, like actively, intentionally, willfully mean to another person. Um, that's something I've never understood in my life. And 48 Laws of Power was an amazing opportunity for me to realize I'm getting emotional talking about it, um, that that is just a part of some humans' decisions. That is just a part of some people's uh, way of being in this world. And if I want to make it through this life without becoming or rather continuing to stay in this state of victimhood, I need to recognize, and all many of us need to recognize, wow, this is the behavior that they're intentionally inflicting on others. And once you start to see the patterns, it's a lot easier to get out of it. 
I've spent a lot of my life in um, rather abusive relationships from my childhood to relationships after that. And I don't open up about that very much. And so it was really, really powerful for me being able to read the 48 Laws of Power and see so many of the patterns of my childhood and of my past in one place. And it really, really helped me to understand, like, I don't have to let people treat me that way. And I'm emotional because I'm looking back and seeing that that book was a huge turning point for me in recognizing it's not okay to talk to me that way. Uh, it's not okay to treat me that way. Uh, that book actually really helped me, believe it or not, to create some really strong boundaries. And so for that reason, and for many other reasons, I'm so grateful to Robert for writing it and giving me actually a roadmap of what to avoid from people who are sociopathic to psychopathic to narcissistic to Machiavellian. Like all of those things are things that I don't want in my life. And it was helpful to realize that many of his books are not just for the people who already are good at those things, but rather for those of us who need to empower ourselves with that knowledge to make different decisions. So I, I purchased The Daily Laws. I'm going to have to recommend this one 10 out of 10. I also think this one is so much easier for people to read one page at a time because every day's page is only one page, I'm pretty sure. Uh, maybe some of them are two pages, but they're all pretty short. So instead of having to read all of the books, you can go day by day. You could put it in your bathroom. You could put it on your nightstand and read one page at a time. No, I have not made any money from promoting Robert Greene's books or this interview at all. I, uh, this is for me a huge thank you to a master who truly wrote about something that supported me and served me in my life. So Robert Greene, thank you so much for writing these books and for helping me and so many others to know how to navigate many different behaviors in life, including those who are obsessed with power. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to my channel. I'll catch you guys later. Bye for now.